Welcome to Global Real Estate Dealmakers with Kyle Ney, showcasing investors and entrepreneurs across the globe who are leading innovative commercial and residential real estate projects. You will have a chance to go around the world and hear from international visionaries who are shaping their local communities. Having worked at some of the world's largest real estate investment firms, Kyle is excited to have you alongside as he speaks with dealmakers about their backgrounds, current real estate projects, and views on both the opportunities and risks of the local markets. Okay, grab your bag. It's time to board the flight for the next episode. Hey there again, dealmakers. Uh, welcome to my uh, second episode of 2021. It's great to have you here. Uh, this will be my first uh, guest episode of the year, and I am going to be moving the geography to Tokyo, Japan. Uh, before I get to the guest himself, a few things uh, on the geography. Uh, as some of you may know, Japan is the 11th most populous country in the world. Uh, it covers over 146,000 square miles across its uh, large archipelago of islands. Uh, Japan has 126 million people, uh, and Tokyo is the largest uh, city in the world with over 37 million people. Uh, the country is a member of the UN, OECD, and G7. Uh, tourism to Japan, that was one of the main things that we'll get into and uh, in the episode we, we touch on it a bit. Tourism to Japan uh, in 2019 was nearly 32 million people. And then it dropped last year during COVID uh, nearly 90% to just over 4 million uh, visitors. And with that said, it's probably a good transition because the international tourism and visitor component plays a key issue in the, a key role in the business model of my guest, who is Taito Oe. Uh, and Taito, Unlike a lot of the other guests that I've had where you know, real estate has been their sole undertaking and they've had one primary position, Taito is trying to balance two very time-consuming, important roles. Uh, the one is as a director at Plantech Group, uh, which his late father founded 35 years ago, and Plantech Group is a major uh, Japanese-based architectural uh, construction management and project management firm that's worked uh, on some of the highest profile projects, including the Apple Store uh, in, in Tokyo and across Japan. And then he's also one of the three co-founders of uh, a parent company called Kurofune Design Holdings, but underneath that, uh, a, a business called Ushare, uh, which we'll get into. And really, the, the genesis for Ushare came when, as you'll hear in the episode, uh, he met his two classmates at, uh, he, two of his classmates at Harvard Business School, uh, they, who are also Japanese, uh, came together to realize that a, a few key elements, that there are a lot of foreigners in Japan, and for foreigners in Japan who don't speak the extremely difficult language of Japanese, uh, it's a very uh, challenging environment to navigate for living there, for signing the lease, for getting things done. Uh, meanwhile, uh, you have uh, Japan that has one of the lowest levels of English profici proficiency in the world. In fact, it ranks 53rd globally, which is near the bottom of Asian countries and uh, developed countries. 
Uh, I saw a statistic saying that uh, less than 30% of Japanese speak English at any level at all, and somewhere between 2 to 8% would consider themselves fluent. By comparison, in Germany, uh, 60% of the population there speaks English, and uh, my estimates says that 16% of them would consider themselves fluent. So Taito and his partners were aware of this, and uh, this episode is going to tell the story about how uh, they took these factors to create a whole new, or in the process of creating a whole new uh, living platform, uh, both the real estate and the operations to pair together uh, foreigners, whether those be international students or expats, and uh, Japanese locals, whether uh, younger or uh, Japanese professionals. Uh, one thing I did want to note before we get into the episode is that uh, there's a segment where uh, Taito refers to receiving uh, two million U.S. dollars uh, from the Japanese government as a part of the stimulus package uh, that was uh, put out uh, early last year. Uh, he actually meant uh, two million yen, which is the equivalent of about nineteen thousand U.S. dollars. So I, I wanted to state that uh, that they they did not uh, receive that much. Um, and as you'll hear, Taito uh, is extremely well-educated, super enthusiastic about uh, this business, and uh, I hope uh, you all get as much enjoyment out of the episode as I did. So with that, I, I bring on Taito Oi uh, from Tokyo, Japan. Hey there, dealmakers. Uh, as I said in the intro, welcome to 2021. I think that there's no better way to start off the new year and global real estate dealmakers, but by having a guest who was one of the first to usher in 2021, and that is uh, Taito Oe, who's coming to us from Tokyo, Japan. Uh, Taito, uh, thank you very much. It's good to have you here. How are things? Thank you so much for having me here. Excellent. Uh, well, you know, for those and I know later on we'll get to it, and I'll certainly share your social media information so people can find you at the end. You're one of the only guests, I believe the only guest that I've had that is somehow balancing two very uh, interesting and time-consuming roles. You are not only the director at Plantech Group, but also the CSO at uh, Kurofune Design Holdings. And it would be really interesting for our listeners, I know for me, to understand how you got to this point and what your background is and, and, and where you see uh, that leading at this point in your life. Um, thank you for your inter interest. And then I was born and raised in Tokyo. And I think my interest in architecture and design naturally started from my father, who was also an architect. And then I was following him, um, the different cities around the world, like Paris and London. And then he showed me how the cities and architecture can be very fascinating. And my um, education, I was, I attended the school at the University of Tokyo, and I majored in um, architecture. And then my teacher was Kengo Kuma, probably. Probably some listeners know it's one of the uh, most famous architects in the world. And he, he showed me uh, the potential of design. Um, and that's how I um, got into this world. And was that, was that lucky that you had him as a professor? Or did you have to, 
I think back to my university days where I had to use points or something to be able to get a, a good professor. <laughs> I told Abby, I, I think what he taught me is not a technical、uh, skills, but it's more like how you make the relationship with people. And、okay. because a great architect, meaning that he has a great client and he knows how to communicate with them. And then, you know, usually the, the teacher will, te- like a professor will teach you how you're going to make a good design. But what he told、mm-hmm. was a little bit different from that. Got it. So, so you went and you had this、uh, really well known, highly regarded, I guess, world famous pr- professor.、Mm-hmm. And how did that, the, the combination of your lessons from him and your father's business and architectural background,、uh, what happened from there? What I learned from that is design is not a.、Um, Very simple、uh, activity. It's more like complex, and then you have to think about、uh, many aspects like engineering and then、uh, grasping the client's need. So that's why I、um, chose、uh, to work in the, one of the biggest general contractors in Japan. The name is、um, Takenaka Corporation, and I joined there as an architect. But the, what I learned in the company is more like, okay, When you design building, there are some other people who build it. So you really have to think about the downstream of your business. So it's, not more like it's all connected when you build it and then it's hand over to the client. And then the, the contractor has to take care of that for many years. So usually the architects will say, Hey, I designed this and it's the end of the, my, my、uh, project. But the, the life of the architecture is very long and, and then many things are involved. Understood.、Mm-hmm. So, so that gave you a new, more comprehensive way of looking at these projects. Yeah.、And、I know at some point you decided that it would make sense for you to come over to continue your education here in the United States.、Yep. What was the pivot point there in you deciding that? I think.、Um, That's, uh, uh, I'm trying to enhance the diversity of my、uh, understanding on the architecture、uh, business, meaning that、uh, when you design something,、uh, usually the client has already decided what to build or how to invest. But sometimes the potential of the building or、um, the site、uh, is already determined during the process. So I I chose to learn in the MBA program in Harvard、um, because I wanted to know more about the business side and how client thinks. So,、um, and also,、uh, that's why I was、um, interested in learning、uh, real estate, meaning that, okay, when you、uh, invest in something,、uh, what is the logic behind it? And then when you design something, you really have to understand that process. And at, at that point, had you spent much time in the United States when you came to HBS, or was that your first time living in the US? Living in the US, it was the first time. The first time I lived、uh, overseas was uh, uh, when I was in high school. I、um, lived in Vancouver、uh, for a year. That's how I learned how to communicate in a different language. But、uh, definitely, it was a struggle、uh, when I first、uh, went to. US and then started in the graduate school. So, so you did the, the full two years there, the full time program. And 
you wrap that up and how did what you experienced there influence what you're doing now? And I know at some point you had this branch out of the tree that grew on the more entrepreneurial side. So mm-hmm. how, how did that all coincide and, and unfold together? Um, the, my experience there was just my growing, meaning that the only industry I knew before MBA was architecture or construction. And I went there. There are diverse uh, the people with a diverse backgrounds, and then um, I was exposed to those people and the culture and what they talk. And then I learned how to connect with those people and communicate with those people. And then when I'm doing this uh, startup uh, or uh, trying to convince investors, the the need to understand uh, or um, connect with with heart with those people. It's something I, I learned the most uh, from two years. So th- those are great, great takeaways. And it sounds like you definitely were pleased with your, with your choice. And it's not, not surprising given the caliber of the program and the, the students who have matriculated through. When you came back, uh, at what point, uh, because the, the Plantech uh, group, that was the group that your father had started. Is that correct? Yes. He founded okay. 35 years ago. And you came back and then started working within that organization again, correct? Right. When you came back? Yeah. Yes. And then uh, based on one of our prior conversations, it sounds like you had met someone at Harvard who... Yeah decided to pull you into something that was a bit more entrepreneurial and also right. wanted to do yep. this in Japan. Can you explain how that happened? Yes. Um, the time I went back to Japan, um, there are some turning points. One is that uh, uh, it's a loss of my father. Uh, he, uh, he passed away um, a year ago. And then uh, that made me think, okay, what should be my edge? And it's not like okay, I'm inheriting something he founded, but it's more like, okay, how should I uh, take advantage of my background and something that my father didn't have? And then um, that is one of my experience in, in the U.S. and also my entrepo- entrepreneurial mind in the real estate. And this guy, I met him uh, at Harvard and he learned uh, real estate. Was, was he also Japanese or was he a different nationality? Okay. Yes. Yeah, he's also Japanese. And uh, he talked to me and then he asked me, with your background, would you like to join uh, his business? Which was, um, he was running, uh, he was trying to run the uh, international uh, share residence. Uh, the, the service name is called U-Share. And he's mm-hmm. trying to mimic um, the experience that he had at Harvard or the, the, the years during the, at the, top, um, the school in the, in, in the U.S. And that the, with the uh, U-Share name, that was a name that he had come up with to yes. start the business? he, mm-hmm. he already named the, uh, the service. And, 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 and why did he have an attraction to this? Was it that he had returned from Harvard, had the experience of communal living, living with other students, right. and he said, this doesn't exist in Japan, or it exists, but it's not at the same level? Or what, what was it that was lacking? It doesn't exist in Japan. And uh, 
probably the reason is that the campus itself, the size of the campus is much smaller. And then most of the students are living um, by themselves outside the campus. So mm -hmm. um, their um, lifestyle is more like divided by um, individually. So that um, you know, if you go to the dormitory of the Harvard or MIT or any school in Boston, you will find a huge dormitory and in the communal space, there is some group work or like activity they do together. But uh, uh, it's really hard to have that kind of life uh, at school in Japan. Understood. And, and what, as he described it to you, how did your thinking evolve as to what this could be? Like, did you, did you see it scaling to something that would not only be in Japan, but that could be applicable to other countries in Asia or elsewhere in the world? Or did you see it really being more of a Japanese business model and, and that was the extent of what was possible? I thought it could scale uh, even back to the U.S. And then the, um, the reason is that it's more like how are you going to make the diverse community? And then the demand for that is not just only in Japan, but the, you know, there are some, uh, in Boston, there are some Asian community uh, which are struggling to get, in, get integrated into the local community. Um, and uh, the same thing happened uh, in Korea or um, like other countries in, in Asia. So the, uh, if we have the expertise that make the communal living with the people, with a diverse background and with an asset, um, actual property, then um, I thought that would be a very unique asset class that doesn't exist yet in the real estate industry. And based on your architectural background, and we didn't get into your, your partner's background whom you met at, right. at HBS, mm -hmm. how did you guys conceive of how the responsibilities would be divided as you embarked on this new venture? So there are three C, uh, I mean, co-founders. And then the CEO, uh, his background is from the real estate, a graduate from the uh, design school in Harvard. Uh, he is responsible for developing the new properties and then the financing for, the, for those properties. And then he set vision and he leads. And the CEO, he majored in urban planning in the uh, graduate school of design, also the design school at Harvard. Um, he is excelled at um, building the community. And then he takes care of students and he do all the PR and the marketing jobs. And me as a CSO, um, I, um, I, my role is more connect with the uh, uh, right partners and then uh, get the investors. Um, for those, and I set the uh, business goal. So those are one of the, how we divide our responsibilities. So, so there's, there's three of you in summary that right. are focused yeah. on different roles. Right. And, and I, we, we spoke about the one, but the, the second gentleman you mentioned with the urban planning background, yeah. uh, all three of you were Japanese and native yes. Japanese speakers. All of us. Yes. Are okay. Yep. Okay. Well, that's, um, that's great. Uh, well, let, we'll, we'll come back to that here in a bit. Uh, but, the past year, I know for me and for a lot of our listeners, has been a very tumultuous and, and difficult one. Mm -hmm. And that clearly has had impacts on economies 
across the globe. Uh, certainly Japan has uh, gone through the COVID-19 uh, pandemic with, with its other global, uh, global partners. And right. I wanted to get your perspective prior to COVID-19, uh, which sectors of the economy did you see that were really thriving there? Like if you met people coming back to Japan, what types of occupations did they have? And given that this venture on the entrepreneurial side that you, with your two partners, started to look, spend more time on and look into developing, uh, how did you guys sort of digest uh, where you wanted to make bets in the city? Uh, like which submarkets you found more attractive? Actually, before COVID, the tourism was booming in Japan and in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, the, re- the major reason was that the Olympic, uh, which was supposed to be held in 2020, and then about from eight years ago, uh, the number of international tourists um, has been booming. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think the awareness of foreigners about Japan has also increased. So that's why um, there are more foreigners coming into Japan or people, uh, the international students trying to learn in this country. So that's, I think, the major change um, in our, in our um, yeah. Uh, Got it. And, and, and prior to, prior to COVID-19, right. if tourism was driving the market, I presume right. that uh, that was in the major areas, I don't know, Ginza, Rapungi, I mean, right, you know, right, the city yeah. infinitely right. better. I'm, I'm quoting this based on maybe three or four visits I've made there over the course of my life. But right. uh, <laughs> what, 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 like, I, I mentioned two other, other neighborhoods that you saw that were very desirable from a residential perspective or for tourists. Yes, the Ginza and then uh, those areas, uh, Shibuya, those are the places that um, popular for the tourists and also some other cities like Kyoto and Osaka um, mm-hmm. and then there are Hokkaido uh, where the, uh, there are like, lots of famous ski resorts mm-hmm. um, okay yeah. so that that was a big a big driver uh, driver and the, of course the hotel business was mm-hmm. the uh, the main driver of our business so, so you're describing the tourism component, but correct right. me if I'm wrong, the U-share business is perhaps less focused on tourism, but more education and right. individuals who are mm-hmm. studying, or it could be individuals perhaps maybe partly, as you described in a prior conversation, Japanese right. citizens who are looking to improve their level of English. Right. So yeah. uh, how did you come to the conclusion that if you had Japanese and non-Japanese, that they would, given that that hasn't been the paradigm historically, as you described, everyone's in their individual environment. How did mm-hmm. you come to the conclusion that that would resonate in Japan? The one major reason is that uh, uh, Japan is facing the crisis in that um, the, the, uh, the population is aging so, like, so rapidly that we really need to see our growth of business in the foreign countries or the people coming into Japan. So they have to have uh, more international exposure uh, in the future. 
So the, the government is now trying to push the um, international learning, meaning that they're trying to invite more uh, students from other countries and then um, push all the universities to increase uh, the foreign students. So that's a major paradigm shift that has happened over the past, let's say, five years. So, so if I'm coming into the country right. to, to learn Japanese or to learn yeah. about the Japanese economy or I want to do yeah. business in Asia and so I come mm-hmm. there, right. what is the, as you see it with Ushare, mm-hmm. how do you entice me to, to enter into this communal living environment right. as opposed to the other options? Right. If you're coming into Japan as a foreigner, um, maybe unable to speak uh, Japanese yet, and mm-hmm. you will find uh, getting into the Japanese community is very hard because first, um, there are not many people who understand your culture and as well as your language. Um, and then secondly, uh, the, because of that, um, you know, the, the people cannot understand English or understand your background. Uh, you really have to, uh, it's really hard for you to find a good, let's say, residence or the, the, the houses because you have to pay more down payments or they don't even accept you as a tenant. So probably those two will be the huge challenge you will immediately face. And then those are what we are trying to solve. So if I understand it correctly, and that's very helpful, from the, the side of someone visiting or studying in Japan, right. mm-hmm. they are likely going to have a very difficult time finding housing. Yeah. And even if yeah. they do find housing, it's going to be likely of a lower quality or they're not going to get a, the normal lease or the landlord can manipulate the situation to his or her favor. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this scenario, they can be assured that they're getting better quality housing and it's all above board. And then they also don't have to deal with the challenge of understanding Japanese at the beginning or working through that system because you'll take care of it. And I, I presume have some contract in English or different right, languages right. for them yeah. to, to digest. Yes. And then like moreover, um, you'll find like you'll feel more like isolation if you are living yourself and then the, your neighbors cannot speak to you. And then, okay, what, how are you going to improve your language? How are you going to get more exposure to the local culture? And that's sometimes hard. Okay. Yeah, understood. Uh, mm-hmm. And then h- how did you, we, d- we talked about the submarkets. We named a few that right. you thought were attractive. Those were perhaps more for tourism. On the, on the learning side, how did you go about, and again, this is a bit pre-COVID, and I'll t- ask you about how that changed or hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. But but how did you go about deciding which sites would be attractive for the first project? And what was your thought of how long each of these sites would take to develop and put into production? So most of the our criteria is based on the site. And the, the, it, it means that uh, we are trying to develop the properties next to the university, near the major university in Tokyo. So our second property, for example, and you're saying that you're saying that's just the major university, not not plural, just one. Ah, uh, yeah, major university, yeah. right? It's mm-hmm. a plural, yeah. 
Okay. Um, so one example, our second property is opening up uh, the Waseda region. So there is a university called Waseda University. Mm -hmm. And um, our um, purpose is, is that we are trying to make our uh, dormitory as like an international um, dormitory for the, the university. So, uh, and then so we'll but that university, right now, that university yeah. doesn't have any co-living environment or anything like this. This is totally new. It does. But before the COVID, it was totally full. Okay. So the supply for the international dormitory is um, much less than the actual demand. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and and uh, so, so you said this was your second site at that university right. you just mentioned, correct? Yeah, right. Um, and is, uh, is there anything, especially given your design background and architectural background, mm -hmm. for the first one and the second one, is there anything unique in the market from a design perspective? Like if I'm walking into the building and, and I certainly later on in the show notes can share if you have any photos or things of that nature, but what, uh, what, what would I, what would strike me if I walked into the building? Oh, this is really modern or I really like the colors or, you know, it's very active or, you know, can you talk about that a bit? Right. Probably the photo we will tell. But the, uh, if you walk in and then uh, we'll try to make the uh, very comfortable hotel-like um, bar and communal space, mm -hmm. uh, as well as some um, uh, rooms where you can feel the Japanese culture, like tea house. And then uh, there are separate meeting rooms where uh, you can also do a remote work. So the diverse set of uh, rooms uh, where you can choose uh, your lifestyle. So that's uh, uh, the, the place that evokes the very uh, natural, um, comfortable activities. I know you said that this was a replicable globally, even in the US. Mm -hmm. If you, and I know you need to walk before you run, so I know you're not on the stage of transferring countries and doing this in Korea, although maybe that comes right sooner rather than later. Uh, are you aware of any other countries like in, especially in Asia, you know, China, Korea, Philippines, have any of those established something similar to this based on your research? Um, yes, um, there are some schools in Korea or um, I think some in Philippines mm -hmm. uh, that have um, the uh, school dormitory. Um, but I think it's more like the dormitory is for one school. It's not more like, okay, the purpose of this dormitory is mixing up the people with the different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. but the, uh, oh, it so would be yeah. for the, the school of engineering. The school, or the school yeah, of, or, yeah of, right, right. Okay. So it's not, yeah. Uh, so we are like specializing in uh, mixing up people with um, the diverse backgrounds. So I don't, from my research so far, I don't know uh, anything with the same concept. Okay. So now let's, let's fast forward in, depending on where you were, whether in Asia, I suspect it was probably January, February, you started hearing about this COVID phenomenon. Right. And then, you know, for us here, it was more early to mid-March. Yeah. So the, the COVID-19, you know, quickly becomes a global pandemic. And mm -hmm. what did that mean 
for you uh, and your close, you know, family and friends in Japan? And how did it uh, affect you over the past year? Uh, and, you know, which, which sectors have you seen that have actually remained resilient, uh, economically speaking? I think it affected it both positively and negatively. And in the, in the negative side is, of course, uh, the, uh, the human interaction, uh, that we have to limit that. So, for example, in our share house, we are trying to host the event because, you know, face-to-face communication is a, the, by far the best way to get mm-hmm. to know and your first share house is already open correct the first one it's, it's already open yeah and yeah then, yeah and when, when when did it open it opened the first priority opened in uh last october okay so a few yeah. october 2019 yeah uh october 2020 oh okay so yeah. you were going through the process of launching it in covid right okay <laughs> And then we open it. We are trying to host many welcome events or you know grand opening party, and it didn't happen. We limit the number of guests that we can invite. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the hard part. But the, at the same time, more their positive side, meaning um, the the importance of the community, or I would say the close community, it is like you will find that more. Because you have to uh, spend time with people whom you can trust uh, under this kind of circumstance. So uh, there are some people who actually try to live in a share house uh, because they all feel isolated uh, just doing the remote work all the day. And there is no communication uh, because they will fear of the people they meet met outside their house um, Maybe they have COVID. Mm-hmm. So if you are in a community uh, with uh, uh, whom you can trust so much, and then if there's a screening process that, okay, this, the people who live in this community has a moral and then they behave uh, based on the rule, um, they will appreciate the time with them. And those communities, if you're living by yourself, it's really hard to get. When you think back again over the past year, what are the what were the major inflections in terms of how COVID affected the the Tokyo market? And when I say major, for instance, well, I can remember as we got into spring of 2020 that restrictions were implemented and then they started to right. relax. And then in mm-hmm. the fall there was a resurgence because it's tough. Yep. You know, I, I'm sure that you've uh, become very accustomed to talking to friends from Harvard who have said, oh, Taito, tell us how are things there? And then you're asking how things are in their country. And yep. the, it's, the, it's the one dialogue that has seemed to united the world because everyone's dealing with this <laughs> yep. simultaneously. So right. c- can you walk me at a very high level, like this is what's happened in Japan and in Tokyo over the past year. And then this is right now, if you go outside tomorrow, uh, I know it's late, <laughs> late at night there, what 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 would someone find in the city right now? Would it be fairly normal, except for mask wearing? So could you walk could you walk me through sort of the, right. the chronology there? Yeah, I think the pandemic started um, mid March in Japan, mm-hmm. and then uh, the government imposed the this restriction 
uh, they call the state of emergency uh, April 7th, probably, mm-hmm. in 2020. And that was a uh, very um, strict uh, regulation that people didn't go out and even they go out uh, or wear masks. And then uh, they stopped that uh, in, uh, that regulation uh, sometime around May. And then from there, the number of, uh, the, even during those time, uh, the, the number of cases are, is much, was much lower uh, than um, the, the U.S. or the, the countries mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in Europe. Uh, so uh, the, the life went back to normal. Uh, close to normal, I mean, uh, during the summer and in the um, maybe the September or something around that, and um, the, uh, the the number started increasing as the winter approaches, and um, now the government declared the state of emergency again, uh, early January, and in the older restaurants are now, uh, now closed at eight p.m. So uh, after eight, uh, you will find much fewer uh, people walking by in the city. But the, during the day, uh, still they go to the office. Um, some people do the remote work, but uh, you will find surprisingly many people um, walking by at the lunchtime uh, in, at the center of Tokyo. Uh, but do you, uh, do you find that many uh, of the Japanese or people you find in town are fearful of being too close to someone? Is there the component of social distancing? Yep. Or do you feel that that is not as prevalent, in, no, especially in the office environment? Uh, it's prevalent. Mm-hmm. And, and then uh, the, the people are trying to um, get the distance from others, even though they are uh, working in the, in the same office. So actually the management is trying to reduce the people who are uh, in the office at the same time. Um, 70%, 60%, and then um, let them have the distance between them. And then everybody, every single person wears masks. So um, that's a prevention they're trying mm-hmm. to do. Okay. And, and yeah. how, how is the pandemic, if especially now there, there's a new restrictions that have been imposed and that's mm-hmm. caused restaurants to shut down Right. I presume that also means that the country is still very restrictive when it comes to incoming students, like people coming from outside. So mm-hmm. if that's the case, and you can perhaps comment, I don't, I, I don't believe right now that foreigners without good reason can come into the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if that's the case, how, how has that affected U-shares, like growth targets, going forward, especially as it relates to the second facility you mentioned and trying to be able to, to lease that up, if that's the right terminology, or stabilize it, get, get residents uh, in on leases and have the building occupied. Right. The government has eased the restriction uh, for the students coming from outside. But even with that, um, we'll probably find some negative impact on our uh, property. But the, probably um, the percentage of international students uh, in the property will be a bit lower. We're trying to aim at 50-50, 50 international, 50 domestic. Uh, that will start more like 60-40 um, or 70-30. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which reduced the extent of diversity. Um, but the later on, if uh, the international students come back, uh, we'll fix that um, as we find uh, new tenants. So you, you still were able, even as October approached, you said the first uh, facility opened in October of 2020. Right. Yeah. You were still able to find individuals who were interested in the in this living environment, even though uh, one might argue in COVID, people would be more interested in right. divided individual uh-huh. environments. And this is right. encouraging the opposite. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I presume you had to answer questions a lot from, you know, how are you what safety protocols are in place or where am I going to be living? How often do you clean the facilities? Right. Uh, Things like that. But you still manage to get people interested and move into the, more importantly, move into the building. Right. That that was a surprise for us too. And then, you know, I thought this pandemic will accelerate more um, uh, individualism and then they'll all live uh, separately. But it's more like they'll need um, some trusted community, and um, if you, it's their community will be is uh, closer. Uh, I mean, uh, smaller but the deeper. So the, the share house can provide uh, that environment. So that matches the demand of um, people living in this pandemic. And what what you just said, Taito, has that that observation affected your thought of how your third and fourth and fifth share house will be designed or where it will be located or your financial models for how much rent you can collect in a certain facility because you Mm -hmm. need to, maybe you need to now design larger spaces or you can still have the same number of small spaces, but you need more common areas. Or as a, how has right. that impacted your 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 pro forma and your design? I think if you're living together, but you still need some privacy. When you're, for example, if you're working from home, then you will need some separate meeting rooms. And before the COVID, um, you know, they didn't really care um, because they just go office. And then the purpose of the property is just let them sleep. But the now um, they have to work maybe 24 hours and they're going to be in the property, meaning, um, of course, the design of the property changes. But the, so you can also charge uh, from those um, amenities, even um, not, not just from the uh, residents, but from um, the people who need that outside our property or community. So um, the economics will definitely change and how we design accordingly will also change. Um, yep, for sure. And it's my understanding that I think late last year, uh, your prime minister approved uh, some larger government uh, stimulus right. package. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think of the equivalent of several trillion right. US dollars or, or silver. Was it? Did I read it properly? It was like 122 trillion yen or something. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'm off by <laughs> a rounding error at that point. Right. But it was very sizable. And right. up until that point, from when you said in March, when in pandemic first started to affect you throughout 2020, 
Was there any stimulus in that interim period for businesses to stay afloat? Especially, as you said, there was from April to May, there was a lockdown. Right. And I, I'm sure that as it did here and elsewhere, it, it really injured the economy and absent any stimulus from government for businesses to continue to pay rent or to pay their right. employees. Right. How did the government at a high level, how did the government go about that? Um, they're trying to support, especially small and medium business and mm-hmm. with a, a subsidy. So if you, if we prove that the, the revenue dropped um, because of the COVID, then um, for example, we got a uh, 2 million US dollar from the government immediately, immediately after the support, after that uh, announcement. So um, it was- the, the, the announcement uh, in December of last year? Or do you mean earlier in the year? Early in the year. Okay. Well, when exactly, but uh, it's uh, like right after the pandemic. So the announcement from uh, last month in December of 2020 there in Japan, the, stim- the stimulus, right. that, was, that, was, that was additional second stimulus. Wave. Yeah, it's second wave of the, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So you were in, when you say, oh, we got, uh, we got a payment of 2 million. Right. W- was that something that, almost came automatically or did you have to jump through a bunch of paperwork as a business that you shared yeah. to get that done? Right. right. So the, the negative impact we got was not actually from the getting the tenant. It's more like the construction. The construction mm-hmm. did a bit because um, there are some bathrooms or other components we are um, importing from China. Mm-hmm. And then that activity stopped. So the, the revenue we were supposed to get uh, after the completion of the building eroded. So mm-hmm. we proved that, okay, this is the revenue we are losing, and then they approved. Ah, okay. So you had to document that. It right. wasn't automatic. Document that. Right. It wasn't automatic, no. We had to do some documentation work. Okay. Right. And then since you are, as you stated earlier, responsible for among other things, uh, within you share the capital and the investor relations, mm-hmm. how have your discussions with, whether it's angel investors or VCs, how have those unfolded during the pandemic, especially as you still look to grow? Can you, can you describe the, the tenor of those relationships, uh, those conversations? Yeah. Like how we are phrasing our business is, uh, we are creating a social impact. So we are not um, trying to get VC who really wants a short-term IRR, but it's more like they, uh, if they invest in us and they will see the impact in the long term. Um, so that's a criteria we are looking for. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there are some individuals uh, who resonates with our vision or uh, at this moment, it's just like very early seed round. So they are more, more uh, invest in founders or our characters. Mm-hmm. So that's how we uh, trying to pitch our business, but also trying to pitch ourselves. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great, great perspective and great, great summary. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm going to move on to a, uh, a section that I always like to discuss, the kind of red tape and bureaucracy that exists in, in any market. Uh-huh. And I, I'll start by saying, I would imagine that 
in your work, uh, not at UShare, but in your work at Plantech, that you've yes. had a lot of interaction with different government authorities uh, in your role of architects and designers. Uh, is it generally viewed like when you take on a project, again, maybe this is more on the Plantech side, mm-hmm. but where you say one of the most challenging components of this is going to be interfacing with the government, you know, getting the permits, getting the entitlements rezoned. I mean, maybe the rezoning is worked on by you partly as well as with the owner or the developer, but is, is it generally viewed that the, the government interaction in Tokyo is a challenging process? I would say yes, uh, especially mm-hmm. if you are uh, developing the center of Tokyo, uh, there are many restrictions um, and uh, but sometimes hard and it takes time. And, you know, with that, as you as you've had to deal with this now, not only from the plant tech side, but now on the more entrepreneurial front mm-hmm. and you share. Uh, and I know there's three of you and maybe this hasn't fallen as much in your court. Uh, maybe it came to the first of the three partners you mentioned who was more mm-hmm. in the, the development side. But uh, how how has your expectation of what the the, the permitting process would be? to have approval to develop these sites and maybe you're redeveloping or building from ground up. How is that compared to what you found or how it's unfolded? Has it been less challenging, more challenging for the, 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 the governmental side? Um, the, the negotiation with the government for the U-share commu- uh, property, that was mostly done by the CEO. But mm-hmm. the, I would say generally, uh, like, as I experienced working in the Plantec or uh, other architecture project, I think the um, what you have to do is to convince the government that what you are building is something beneficial for the city. Mm-hmm. So it's not we are trying to find a pitfall of the rules, or we are trying to um, you know convince them that uh, what we are, what we are doing is. Um, uh, comply with the regulation, but uh, the first communication that we have to do is uh, what we are trying to build is will benefit the community or will benefit the city. Mm-hmm. So as long as we can commit, like, convince that, uh, of course the rules have always like ex- exceptions. Uh, so there are like basic rules that you really have to stick. But if there is a gray area, and then uh, this is something that we are disputing then um, what I'm trying to do always is that conversation. And in your effort to convey that message to government that what you're doing has benefit to the community, Mm -hmm. I I, I presume this isn't unique to Japan. It certainly happens here as well, but that relationships wind up being very important. So... Mm -hmm. You may say, oh, you know, I have a friend of mine and his father works in this position in government. <laughs> if we go through him, it's not a rubber stamp, but we're, it's going to be expedited because he knows the right people. Uh-huh. And normally if we uh-huh. submit this paperwork, it's going to take, you know, it's going to take two months to approve. But if he can hand walk it into you know, person Y, then it will, it will only take a week. I, I, I imagine that there's some component of that or, or is there not within like the, the, the permitting and approval component? There's some, especially if development is huge, but that aspect of 
process is not prevailing in mm -hmm. the process in Tokyo. But th that's more top-down approach. And then there are also bottom-up approach that you go to the government office, let's say every week, and mm -hmm. then uh, I make the connection with this guy, and then uh -huh. this guy will introduce you to his boss mm -hmm. and uh, something like that. That's also a very important activity. And, and then, you know, that the, the extent of like, it's not corruption, but the extent of corruption is much less uh, in Tokyo. So mm -hmm. uh, sometimes uh, if you, unless you have a real, really huge political power, um, it's hard to do the top-down approach. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, your team has remained persistent, and have you found that with what your level of interaction is right now for future projects with the government, or even with the second project, has that process been slowed down because of COVID? Like within the within the city, the you know prefecture or city of Tokyo, where you know, you submit your paperwork to a certain department for them to look over and they say, well, normally we would have 30 right. people here, but now we only have two. So it, it, this is delayed. Actually, it did uh, last April and May, but uh, not major impact after that. And then the mm -hmm. government is trying to do a remote consulting process for the permit. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Right now, no, no negative impact. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's uh, that. That is uh, better than I thought. So that's good. Uh, that's good right. to hear. Yeah, I think the government was resilient um, against uh, those negative changes. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the I think the last thing I want to ask you on the on the kind of red tape front is: are, mm -hmm. are there any pending laws or measures? within Tokyo or Japan that have the potential to threaten your business model or to change your financial projections? That could be a new tax that's being implemented uh, that's going to have to cause you more in property taxes. Could be some new you know, zoning ordinance that's going to affect your design. Uh, is, is there anything that, you're, that is looming that is of concern to you and your team? Actually, not much in the real estate uh, mm -hmm. side, um, but the, the requirement to get the visa to live in Japan mm -hmm. or study in Japan, and then how the government react to it. The, the government originally mentioned they will ease um, that bar uh, to entice more international students. And then, um, you know, with the COVID situation, uh, it's a kind of different story. And, and if the government will still do uh, that or not will definitely affect our business. Okay. So, that, yeah. so it sounds like that's a situation that's evolving right now and right. we, that we will are play out that. in the near future. Yeah, we are watching that. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm going to, uh, I want to shift to a segment uh, I call finance and formulas. Mm -hmm. What that means is I, I'd like to pick and maybe the first project uh, that you started or launched and, and opened mm -hmm. this past October is a good mm -hmm. uh, subject for, for, for this topic. Right. With, with that project, what, 
how are you like, what are you spending most of your time on right now? And I, and I know from one of our prior conversations that you certainly have uh, layers upon layers of responsibilities at Plantech as well. So mm-hmm. everyone only has 24 hours in the day. So your, <laughs> your ability at the moment, you know, maybe, right. maybe uh, diluted a bit, but uh, w- w- what's taking most of your time right now in the use share business? Uh, right now is for leasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first property is um, more than half it's leased up. The second property is coming. And the, the number of rooms there is much more. It's 31 rooms. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the tenant we have to find, of course, is 31. So it's, uh, we are trying to build a brand and we are collaborating with an uh, expert who knows about PR and, and then uh, you're making a strategy to... And- Brand for, for brand ourselves. And do, do you recall how did you find this particular site? Like right now, there's your building of 31 units. But right. what was the, what was there before, and how did you f- figure out that this was for sale? Or and how did you how did you get the deal? Um, there, there was an old property that uh, mm-hmm. already existed there, and then the, the site was very close to the major university in Tokyo, and that that's uh, um, uh, facing the the major uh, street. So um, definitely that was a, um, a good site, but uh, because the, the site is narrow and it's hard to do the um, good design uh, with a safe construction, uh, you really need some expertise uh, to uh, build that uh, uh, and then build a good quality um, living. So that's something um, that's Oh, that, that was undervalued, but um, uh, we added the value uh, with our um, architecture uh, skills. And, the, and that, the old structure, that structure was demolished or that structure was redeveloped? De- demolished. Okay. Yeah, so All right. So you bought the site for its land value right. um, and then right. you move forward and... Mm-hmm. What would you say from the, the, the point that you found the site and it was a potential site mm-hmm. to where it is now and it's open and you're trying to lease it up? What yeah. were the most challenging and rewarding parts of that whole continuum? The most rewarding world will come um, later when <laughs> it's going to open in April. Uh, but the, the one rewarding moment is that um, this two co-founders that already joined the business. Mm-hmm. I was a third. And then they imported the brick, bricks from the, from the um, Boston. So those bricks are used in the dormitories and the properties in the Harvard. And then they spent- Wow, how, how great. I, di- I didn't realize that. <laughs> they spent <laughs> so many hours and then, you know, once uh, they got rejected in the, in the import, um, gate <laughs> in the airport, but the, they managed to uh, import those components into the Japan. And then in the exterior of this property, uh, there's those bricks. And then there uh, uh, in the interior, uh, we use those uh, as, a, um, as a sign of diversity. Mm-hmm. So um, this is not only just an interior component, but this um, means and then represents the, our, the, the diversity of our community and in the culture. 
But I, I may have misunderstood one thing. When you mentioned October of 2020, mm-hmm. the facility opened. Did that mean that you got your like certificate of occupancy and the, and the facility is open like uh, from governmentally, but right. that your first residents aren't going to move in until April? Like you have leases oh, or, or okay. people right. or individuals already living there. So okay, the first property opened October. I was talking about the second property, which are close to, to the university. The second ah, okay. is, uh, yeah, the first property is for the foreign experts. So mm-hmm. the person who are, who are working already. And the second property is for the students, uh, mm-hmm. which is close to the university. And then I was especially talking about this second one. Ah, okay. Yeah. Got mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one question about the first one, when you say foreign yeah. expats, Right. So does the same, the same premise apply? So if you're a foreign expat, you're certainly older and you Mm -hmm. could live in your own environment, but Mm -hmm. you as a foreigner may say, well, I want to learn more about Japanese culture. I want to learn the language. And then you maybe have, let's just pick someone in their early thirties who's uh, Japanese and they say, well, I'm working for a company here Mm -hmm. in Japan Mm -hmm. and it would really be helpful for me to improve my English because right. I'm going to be working on international projects. Is right. that is that the general thesis? Yes. So one of our tenants is uh, working at Microsoft Japan. Mm-hmm. And then she, uh, the old work, she has to do the remote, remotely. Mm-hmm. But uh, sometimes she wanted to, she wants to earn MBA in the U.S. Or she wants to get, uh, she wants to study or like a work. Uh, in the U.S., then um, the only way for her to interact with international international people to is living in this uh, U-share um, mm-hmm. uh, property, and then uh, they build the community, and then they do the party or event in English. Mm-hmm. So um, she even with unlike her colleagues mm-hmm. who are all working remotely or like you know just. Uh, alone, um, she can get the benefit of being in this um, uh, visit among these these people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So the in terms of the date, the expat facility opened up in October of, October, yes. of, yes. of last year, right. and the April opening is for the second facility near the university. Yeah, yeah for the students. Yes. Okay. And you said the second facility is 31 units. How much was the first one? Uh, nine. Nine. Okay. And the first one was a, a total renovation of the existing house in, in Aoyama area, uh, which is also the same, like a very premier uh, residential area in, 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 in Tokyo. Okay. Understood. Mm-hmm. How much for, for either the first or the second one, you can pick one of the two, but... How much does it cost individuals to to live in these residences or in this environment? Are they paying a premium for the communal environment that helps offset some of the costs of you planning events or building Mm -hmm. out offices or having these services, Mm -hmm. concierge services? Right. Like what what do the economics look like? So the first one, um, just for the rent, it's about $1,200. And okay. then if you include the utility and then every service, it's about fifteen to sixteen hundred dollar for the individual room. Mm-hmm. And the second one is because that's for the students, it's lower price point. Uh, it's about eight hundred dollar 
for the rent, and then a mm-hmm. thousand uh, if you include everything. And uh, when you just uh, hear this price point, it's equivalent or a bit higher than the rent if you are otherwise living by yourself. But this also includes um, the education service or um, the communal event that uh, you otherwise have to pay uh, and then which is uh, expensive. And when you, when you talk about educational service, mm-hmm. what's the expectation there for each party? So if I'm a, if I'm a foreigner and I'm coming there, does that mean that I, I need to commit to a certain number of hours to, to, to receive, you know, education on, on Japanese culture or Japanese language. And then like, if I'm a Japanese, if I'm Japanese and I'm living there, is there a commitment for me to, to interact for a certain period of time with the foreigners or ha- when you say educational service, what does that mean? Like, uh, why that we are uh, teaching, uh, we are coaching, uh, those, uh, uh, tenants about like how to get uh, how to improve English. It's a uh, 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 let's say how to get higher score in TOEFL, mm-hmm. or how you're gonna make the application for MBA, and then um, so that's for the Japanese students. But the, if uh, the foreigners are uh, will support us to teach those people, uh, then they will get the discount. Okay, and then the, the vice versa. If uh, the Japanese people are hosting the event to teach Japanese culture to the International international residents, and they will also get a discount from the uh, from involving in this activity. So it's like uh, getting the benefit from both. Ah, uh, okay. Under so there's an economic incentive to participate yeah. as much as <laughs> as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and what, what's the lease term that someone signs on for? Is that month to month? Do I need to make a contract for a year and commit to this? How does it work? Um. It's very flexible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no um, restrict, uh, strict rules. Uh, if you are coming uh, in the short term, uh, you you want to leave just three months, you can do that without penalty. Or if you leave, if you want to leave two years, that's also fine. So this flexibility is something that you really have. It's really hard to find uh, in Tokyo. Uh, we don't have uh, any down payment. And uh, sometimes uh, the tenant uh, in the property will, the owner will require you to pay two to three months of down payment. Uh, so the, that's, that's a huge benefit at your property. Mm-hmm. Right. The general understanding I have is that mm-hmm. with both of those projects, the nine unit and the 31, that right. your, your tri-party venture owns mm-hmm. the, the land you own the building and then you own the right. operating business. Is, is right. that correct? Right. So the operating business is a, uh, uh, the company that's called Crofinet Design Holdings. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there are two SPCs. Uh, so the, the each had each owns each property. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so and, and, people, um, yeah. And, and under that structure, you mentioned before that you're really more focused on the sustainable nature of it and mm-hmm. it, it, it is maybe ESG related, but you're not looking to turn some massive IRR and be in and out in two mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. in a more strict private equity model. So 
you've been able to find financing, whether it sounds like more individuals or, you know, angel investors, not as much the VC route who have alignment of interests in that regard. Uh, With that said, when you look forward, is, is your general strategy to build a portfolio of these over time? And then maybe 10 years down the road or 15 years down the road, you, you know, you sell the real estate or you sell the operating business or you sell both. Like Mm -hmm. what are your, and and if there's levels of confidentiality, I certainly understand, but what's your general thought on how this business, how you'll exit this, this business in the future? Right. Um, The first two properties are our flagship. Uh, So Mm -hmm. that's why uh, we uh, use our founder's equity and um, we own it and we control every quality of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we, once we make the brand, that we would like to do the like, managing contract or a like, franchise model, which is more like the hotel business, like Marriott, uh, so that we can accelerate um, our growth. So, but uh, in order to make the brand, uh, we really need to nurture our community and then uh, build our expertise too, uh, using these two, two flagships. So that's our um, growth strategy. So right now you're focused on, let's call it perfecting those two, uh, the, the right. first two, and your third project is more in its infancy. I mean, your, your focus really now is on the first two, is that correct? Uh-huh. Yeah, and then we are looking for another opportunity, yes. Uh, but I think the, uh, the priority is much uh, put on uh, perfecting those two. All right, well, excellent. <laughs> Sounds like your, your focus is in where it should be. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, there are two other topics I want to cover as we kind of wrap up here. Um, when you went or came over to the U.S., and I know you had already lived in Vancouver for a number of years. Yes. Uh, I would imagine that you had some observation of how in the U.S. business was conducted compared to Japan. And and I know initially that was in the academic environment. But even, I mean, you can think back to university in Japan and what you dealt with Mm -hmm. and how how people went about their business. And then you fast forward and you're uh, in, you know, Cambridge, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. with, you know, f- students from all around the world, but there had to be mm-hmm. certain, you know, customs or things that went on in the U S that struck you as unique compared to what you were used to in Japan. Can you comment mm-hmm. on anything that you saw as differences in sort of like business culture between the two countries? There is more, um, direct communication in the U S, um, and um, in Japan, you will find more informal networking uh, outside the meeting room. And then you go to, uh, you try to get the connection uh, personally with your clients or with your boss. Uh, that, that's something uh, fundamentally different. But at the same time, I was surprised that the, uh, in the U.S., the, the colleagues get connected with their family. And then the, your boss will invite you to uh, his house over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, you'll get to know his family. That's something we don't have in Japan. And 
I thought that was very fascinating. So Do even though, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, please. No, what, what I was going to ask is a derivative yeah. of that. So in Japan, is there the concept of uh, team building events or things within the office yes. to help grow the culture? But I, if that's the case, then I presume that stops at just the employees of a company that they don't encourage you to bring your significant others or your your wife or your husband or your girlfriend, boyfriend your doesn't kids. doesn't show up or your kids to yeah, some yeah. company event. Not much. Mm-hmm. So that's a major difference. Like even though um, the Japanese people like to mingle together and then you know go to the the party after the work together, uh-huh. it's, it's closed within the colleague or client, uh, not to your family. So that was, I was like surprised with, mm-hmm. with yes. What what is a struggle for foreigners coming to do business in Japan when they encounter? the business practices there other than saying, Oh, Hey, my, you know, my, my wife's going to come and my kids are going to come to our next uh, office event. And the Japanese look at him or her, or, you know, look at him in my example, like he has, you know, six eyes, but what, what, what's, what is challenging for foreigners in the business environment there culturally? The first is uh, of course, the culture mm-hmm. uh, and in the language and in uh, being a native Japanese speaker is just so hard. Um, probably much harder than being a native English speaker mm-hmm. uh, if you're not born in the country. So, um, and then uh, the, the nuance uh, of Japanese language is uh, very difficult, even for us. So if you are talking to the elderly people, you really have to change uh, your vocabulary um, and then that doesn't really happen in other languages. So, um, and then the, the commu- community and the culture is relatively closed. And then, and then the, the elderly senior people who have not lived in outside Japan, uh, they don't sometimes accept or understand what you're trying to do. So, um, Breaking into that cultural gap and a boundary is uh, the challenge uh, for them. And then what, what we are trying to uh, solve is this gap that if we um, uh, educate the young generation, uh, having the uh, uh, diverse uh, value, then they will accept uh, the foreigners more and then uh, the, the, the Japan will be more international. What specific things would you, and, and thank you for that. And it sounds like your, your business model is better suited than anyone I've heard of to be able to further that, that cause and to put people in a more evil, uh, even footing. What do you advise newer entrants into Japan, people coming to, to study there, or even to come foreigners coming to do business there, what, what specific things would you tell them to, to, to focus on? It sounds like one would be to the extent possible, try to learn the language or at least a couple things to show that you're connected, but what else? I would say find a best partner that you can trust. Um, mm-hmm. uh, even uh, for example, from the referral 
uh, from uh, someone you already know in Japan. Uh, but the, uh, uh, get one person um, who can be the bridge between you and in the native culture. And then from that, expand um, your network. Okay, so to so yeah. use that as a launching pad for the rest right. of your network. Yes, launching pad, yeah. Okay. Advice uh, that. And then, okay. uh, yeah, I think that's why I would like to introduce like this uh, community that the, if we do, that one of our strengths is that if we build the, the expertise to screen people and then who have the core value um, as well as the skill sets, then I can, we can make some kind of like referral business that the people coming into Japan, they will need mentor and then we can connect uh, with those people. So that's something that we are aiming for. All right, so that, that's another yeah. facet of your business. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let me, I'm gonna wrap up with my, my last segment, which I call a tourist in your own town. This mm -hmm. one is arguably on the more fun, fun side, but I, I yeah. wanted to know <laughs> if you, came, we talked about tourism and let's assume that it may not be this year, maybe it's next year in 2022, but that tourism is able to resume. I certainly know there's the Olympics component. Yes. And uh -huh. so if someone is coming and they're going to spend three days in Tokyo, how would you advise that they spend their time? Or I can make it more personal to you. How would you, if you were a tourist, how would you spend your time? Uh, where would you go? What would you do? What would you eat? That's a very hard question because uh, there are many things you can do in Tokyo. And then uh, I would say um, I would um, tailor uh, your trip to what you need. But uh, um, it depends on what you want to do, like food. Of course, there are best foods um, in, the, in the world here. And also shopping, uh, either if you want the local goods or luxury brand. Um, there are some regions that fits for it. And in the art, if you want to learn Japanese art, uh, there are amazing museums uh, in the galleries uh, in, in Tokyo. Uh, and if you would like to enjoy Japanese garden uh, or somewhere that you can um, uh, take a rest, then I can also recommend some parks. Mm -hmm. So, are there um, Oh, go ahead. But no, uh, the, the advice I would give is that before coming to Japan, uh, think about what you want to do, because uh, there are too many things you can do. So you're saying try to figure out ahead of time and do some research into those, because if you parachute down and you have <laughs> no idea what you're doing, everything might seem overwhelming. Yeah, like... Um, if you are staying like a month, that's should be fine. But mm -hmm. uh, if you want, like, think about what you want to do like first, and then uh, then I can tailor the trip to that. That's okay. like I when I was in like Harvard MBA, and uh, we organized Japan Trek, and then we invited a hundred a hundred seventy people students to Japan. And then uh, we did a whole trip from Kyoto, Hiroshima to, to Tokyo. 
And then that was fascinating to, to see my friends enjoying、uh, Japan very differently. Some people just eat so much. Some people go <laughs> That's shopping. Not yeah, I know. And then some people were just clubbing every day. Yeah.、Um, yeah. And then some people are just enthusiastic about、uh, seeing the Japanese、uh, museums,、uh, gardens. So、um, that's what I learned.、Uh, okay.、Uh, you know, it's how they enjoy Japan is just very、um, uh, different. Well, that's, a, that's、yeah. a massive undertaking from a logistical perspective,、uh, <laughs> yeah. dep- depending on. <laughs> How structured the programming was. If you said,、yeah. well, from, from morning till evening, you've got this at eight, this at 10, this at 11.、Yep. This, or,、yep. or if it was more one or two things, like, hey, wake up, do what you want for breakfast.、Uh, we've got a lunch meeting. Someone's going to present from this you know, bank in Japan. <laughs> and then in the evening, we have a dinner and the rest just figure it out on your own. But it sounds to me like you probably had it a bit more structured. It's more structured and a mixture of fun and business. So, okay, we did some site touring, but at the same time, we met the CEO of Uniqlo or、uh, the executive officer in, in Toyota to where、um, they、uh, taught us some tips about managing the company. Well, I, I imagine you have some photos from that trip that,、uh, of your, of your classmates that are published and some that will remain private. <laughs> so, <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs>、um, so that, that is,、uh, I think, a great、uh, way to wrap up. And、uh, Taito, this has been phenomenal.、Uh, I've learned so much about the business.、Uh, even compared to the, the prior conversation we had. And、mm-hmm. I've tried to、uh, digest all of this and take notes. And I trust that our listeners will find it equally as fascinating. So,、uh, with that, I, I will thank you for joining today. It's been great to talk to you. And, thank you、uh, so much. And,、yeah. uh, No, please. And, and I hope that I、uh, wish you all the best with the business and we look forward to, to seeing how it unfolds. Thank you. I enjoyed this time so much.、Okay. And then to all the listeners out there,、uh, before I sign off, I wanted to urge you all to please subscribe to my podcast.、Uh, you can do that on the website at、uh, kyleney.com.、Uh, and I look forward to catching you next time around. Thank you for tuning into Global Real Estate Dealmakers, the podcast that takes you around the globe to meet real estate investors who are transforming their local communities. If you want to explore the subject from this episode in greater detail, please head on over to www.globalrealestatedealmakers.com. We certainly hope you enjoyed this episode and welcome your feedback to help us better cater the content to your global real estate interests. 